On the 24th of December 2016, news outlets around the world reported that Carrie Fisher, movie star and cultural icon, had suffered a heart attack on a flight from London to Los Angeles. A few days later, on the 27th of December, she died. Her mother, the Golden Age movie star and cultural icon Debbie Reynolds, died the next day from a stroke. Reportedly, in the wake of Carrie Fisher's death, she had said, I want to be with Carrie, who she also named as her best friend. Tonight on They Don't Make Them Like They Used To, we dedicate our entire show, format and everything, to two ladies from one family who indelibly left their mark on the world. Cavalier is now a musical. Hot dog! Hallelujah! Fellas, I feel this is my lucky day, March 23rd. Oh, no, your lucky day is the 24th. What do you mean the 24th? It's 1.30 already. It's morning. Yes, and what a lovely morning. Good morning. Good morning. We've talked the whole night through. Good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to stay up late. Good morning. Good morning to you. When the band began to play, the stars were shining bright. Now the milkman's on his way. It's too late to say good night. So good morning. Good morning. Be
That uh, good morning, good evening. Good <laughs> evening. That was, of course, good morning with Gene Kelly, Donald Corner, and of course Debbie Reynolds from the seminal classic "Singing in the Rain." My name is Tosin, and I am your host, who is sad at the passing of these two great performers, and yet cannot help but smile as we look back at their body of work. Trolling through that with me are my studio regulars, Sharon. Hello. And Sean. Hi, yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. So I don't want to make this sound a lot more monumental than it actually is. But do you guys remember where you were when you first heard about this? When you first heard that debut, like, well, Carrie Fisher, obviously, first, and then Debbie Reynolds was uh, it? Probably on the news, I think. Probably in one of the news, news things. I do remember where I heard about Debbie Reynolds. Okay. Because I had been out for a friend's birthday we'd been out for a film and a meal and I came back and I normally like to watch the, listen to the news or watch the news or read the news before I go to bed Yeah. and so I had logged in to my my normal like BBC News 24 and I'd logged in and it was the headline and I'm, I must admit I did say I went oh no and my <laughs> no. brother who was in the room said what 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 I said oh you know Debbie Reynolds has just died. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just the fact that it was the day after her daughter was just heartbreaking, isn't yeah, it? Really? Yeah, 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 it was. It's just one of those things you think, oh, that's just, it was so, you feel like she died with a broken heart and she died of a stroke, but you feel like she died with a broken heart, don't you? Yeah, well. And it the, just gets you. It's just so, yeah. it's just horrible. Yeah, the way the way her son tells the story, it does really sound like that, that she was just so, she was just so, um, down about the whole idea though because Carrie, they lived beside each other they had houses yeah. beside each other she said like she's actually my my best friend and all that kind of stuff they saw each other every day that kind of stuff and it does really sound as if she just really just couldn't imagine mm. life without that well that's that's the way it sounds yeah, having right, this period so. of, that's like they had a difficult period in their relationship didn't they so they got very close when they got older it's just, yeah you think oh it just breaks heart yeah it really does and, and if you if you have a chance on oh, sean are you going to say something no 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 I'm kidding. Okay. 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 yeah so if you have a chance on sky atlantic um there's actually a documentary called bright lights which was uh, it's about the two of them and it's about the relationships that they were just run, that they were filming and they were going to do later in they were going to release it later in may but because obviously with what with what happened they released it earlier and they yeah. Yeah. Earlier. But um yeah, so Deborah Reynolds and Carrie Fisher, it's it's I mean, everybody says that twenty sixteen just seems to be the year where a lot of famous people just died. Yeah. <laughs> just I guess I guess they it, do every year, but I mean yeah. this year seems particularly poignant. I they think, did seem to be one after another and you kept yeah. thinking, you know and all each one seemed to take you by surprise. Yeah. Yeah, it was what, a surprise of it. I think that was yeah. the I mean some of them you could understand, but I mean it was a surprise. Wasn't it? it wasn't That's always like the elderly ones who like an old, you know, ninety something year old yeah, legend time. of screen who's been retired for thirty years. Yeah. These are people you think Gosh, there were no age, or that they seemed yeah. to be, they'd kept their illness hidden, or yeah, whatever yeah. reason. You just came you, as a complete surprise. You were sitting, I think the biggest shot was Bowie, wasn't it? Really? Early on so in the year, about this yeah. time last year, it was the very beginning yeah, of the year, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah, was that long ago? Yeah, it's it, so. No, it was. It was just a, a weird year. Yeah, weird that, year. It, with that, it just seemed that a lot of famous people were just sort of like dying and. Ends off with this, um, with uh, Deborah Reynolds and Carrie Fisher, which obviously for us being a film show is quite. Well, quite it's well, it's quite sad. But then yeah. again, as I said, when we look back, I mean, we listen to Good Morning, and honestly, I can't help listen to that without a massive smile on it my is, face. It does, And I must, but I went and watched. I've mentioned before, um, the unsinkable Molly Brown is one of my favourite Debbie Reynolds films, and I went and watched one of her the best dance scenes ever from a film, which is from that. Um, he's my friend, and it was just. <laughs> I thought it was just a good. For me, it was like a good tribute to see her laughing and smiling and just, you know, tearing up this the dance floor. Yeah, in because this number. because in that film, she's a 
tearing up is kind of pretty much what she yeah. does to that film. Yeah, she just tears <laughs> her way through the whole in, film. In that film, she, she's just a bit, she's just a bit like out of it. Yeah. So anyway, well, what what usually happens on this show, let's actually explain for anybody who's not into this show, is that we go through pre-1980s movies and we go through this with three sections. Our first section, we look at a bona fide classic movie. A second section, we look at a hidden gem that doesn't get much love nowadays. And in a third section, we have an exception to the rule. And this is a film released after 1980 that defies all logic and rocks. So today, we are going to let Debbie Reynolds and Carrie Fisher take over all three sections. Now, I'm Nigerian, and we have a respect for age where we come from, so we shall kick off with Debbie Reynolds. (laughs) So we're going to kick off, and this is, we're going to go into a bona fide classic section of the show. And... The thing with both Debbie Reynolds and Carrie Fisher that I found quite interesting is that quite early on in their careers with Debbie Reynolds, it was her first starring role in a film. And I guess with Carrie Fisher, it was it was her second film that she'd been in, but it was a first starring role in a film. So quite early on in their careers, they had a movie that was ended up being this massive seminal classic that pretty much overshadowed the rest of their careers. So whatever else they did and however good it was, people always reminded, remembered them for the first thing that they did. So even though we've talked about these things before, when it comes to Debbie Reynolds and when it comes to a bona fide classic that she was in, it's really, really hard to look further than Singing in the Rain. Yeah, it's got to be, that isn't is, it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is, it's, well, I think it's just the well, iconic movie, isn't it, really? I mean, everybody, I think even, yeah. even youngsters singing in the rain, you know, still, yeah, you know, still you, even today, you know, you could talk to some youngsters that are quite young and they're they, they may not have seen stars it, and they're but like, they'll know but it. they know about singing in the rain. Yeah, you know, it <laughs> pops up. Yeah, well, the thing, the thing with singing in the rain is that it's just, I mean, obviously you have that scene with Jim Kelly dancing in the rain and everything like that that just keeps coming back, and that scene is never going to die. I think they use milk for the rain, did I read something? That's what they that's say. What, that's what they yeah. say. Whether it's yeah, true that, or not. They, they, I think it was dyed milk because dyed milk. It, it comes up because if if not, the rain actually it's just water. water. It doesn't show up that well. It doesn't show up that well on camera. So it's so. I mean, there was a couple of years back where that scene with Gene Kelly dancing was remixed and had like you know they remixed the music and they had like a sort of essentially a CGI Gene Kelly break dancing in the rain to that oh, and it wow. was it was done for like the Volkswagen Polo I think or something yes, like that. Yes, it was a car advert, wasn't it? It was a car advert, but it just <laughs> keeps coming back. It keeps coming back. I mean, if you're a fan of Strictly Come Dancing, the Colin Jackson did an amazing cover of it yeah. a few years ago, about 10 years ago. Yeah. But then Ore Adube did a great dance to it this year. Yeah, this year it it keeps coming back. back. And yeah. even even now, I mean, at the moment, I mean, people, oh, I was watching something with Debbie Reynolds on it when she was talking about her time on Singing in the Rain. And she has a line where she says, oh, we don't, uh, it looks like it was filmed in the 80s. And she says, oh, we don't really make much musicals nowadays. But every now and then they do try and make a musical. And even now in cinemas, there's a film called La La, La, La Land. La Land, yeah. Which it's when I look. Terrific review. Yeah, yeah, wait, but when you watch the film, that film has Singing in the Rain all over it. Singing in the Rain is just such an influence on this, especially the character played by Emma Stone called Mia, who is pretty... It's, it's kind of like an updated version of the character that Debbie Reynolds plays oh, wow. in Singing in the Rain. It's like struggling art, actor, all that kind of stuff, and trying to find a big break that's actually going to move them forward, all that kind of stuff. So it's almost as if they said, okay, let's take the idea of that character and update it. So I think it's classic, it's seminal, and Debbie Reynolds is, well, she's great in it. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, she's great in it. But oh, if we're going to talk about the film, we're not really talking, we're really talking about her in the film and not so much about the yeah. film. Mm. But it's uh, it's made in the fifties in nineteen fifty two I believe set in the twenties when they when they first invented sound and 
you have all these people who are who are used to being in silent movies who are freaking out because they were like oh my god i have to talk i have to talk i can't talk nobody knows why i sound like that's why i'm a movie star and it's all up it's set in that time and all what goes on and like oh debbie reynolds she actually said that they pretty much cast her to play herself because like she was she was playing somebody who was in love with a movie star who was played by Gene Kelly called Don Lockwood and in real life she was in love with Gene Kelly who was a movie star so she was like yeah it was pretty easy even though she's apparently she was freaked out about all the dancing and stuff because she had never done as much as that she said she was a gymnast not a dancer but I, just, I still think that, you know towards the end of the film where you know she's discovered if you like is one of my my favorite bits i think that's 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 like really really exciting yeah oh, oh, at the, at the, yeah i love that i love yeah. that and he actually says there's not, gene kelly goes this, he, he comes on doesn't he all excited and he goes this is actually who this is the voice yeah, this, this is the voice this is the voice <laughs> okay so so for those of you who don't know the film what is wrong with you why haven't sure you watched know. that um, film? people everyone's gonna most know people that. should know yeah, about singing in the people, rain most people i did think spoilers and i thought well no most people oh no no yeah. we're, not, we're not gonna bother about spoilers but yeah. just trying to when explain it was made in 1952 <laughs> yeah and well, if you haven't it, seen exactly. it yet it is your fault yeah it's your fault you need to go watch that film and it's but it's it's essentially the bit where the the person who's usually the uh, the person who's usually the screen partner for Don Lockwood, Gene, Gene Kelly's character, who's been by Jane Hagen, I believe Jane it is. Yeah, Please, yeah. she plays Lena Lamont, and she and they they have this whole thing at the beginning of the film where they don't let her talk, and like when they're in public, they keep like she's about to say she opens her mouth, she's like, and then they start talking over her, and you're like, what the heck? And they just keep this joke going on and going on and going on. Then eventually they get her away from the crowds, and she goes, what's wrong? the way I talk yeah. <laughs> it's like and so they have the whole thing when they when they, they they dub her voice with Debbie Reynolds voice and that's and she's written some contract that says that you will the only thing you're ever going to be in life is you're going to be my voice yeah. so on film you're going to be my voice and you're not going to get, you're not going to appear in any form of your own you're not going to be a star you're just going to be and I think it's just because of the way Debbie Reynolds plays the character as like this sort of like sweet ingenue and everything like that 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 seems actually quite harsh and horrific they have like this sort of like harpy of a hollywood person coming in and going you will be nothing but my voice you are my slave now and it's but, uh, but i agree with you like the bit where um gene kelly and donald donald o'connor go and they raise the yeah the, <laughs> and they raise the curtain so they see that she's not actually singing but it's debbie reynolds singing backstage and she's just lip syncing on stage i do quite like that i I've, yeah I just, I just feel it's like a perfect it's almost like a perfect film it is really because he just goes, you know, just the whole audience is there. <laughs> I love yeah. the they pull it down, don't they? She's singing away, the, uh, and she's the other one's singing away. She goes, and, yeah. <laughs> and you can see and all that, and then she, the, she, they start laughing or the crowd, yeah, they're, yeah. All, they're all laughing. Yeah. yeah, I do feel sad for her though at that point. I must admit, I'm probably the only person in the audience who goes, "Oh, you've embarrassed her." Oh no, I she do. Feel, yeah, 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 you do but feel you a little bit, bit sorry yeah. for her as well. You, you, you do feel sad for the Ligna Lamont character. You, yeah. you do feel sad for her, but at the same time, you, you're she's like, "She's a monster." But you think even <laughs> monsters have feelings. <laughs> but at the same time, you think, "Yay!" But Debbie Reynolds is going to be a but big she's star. Got her, yeah, but it was unjust, so she's yeah, justice. But. <laughs> I'm sorry that you're upset. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and, and the, the funny thing is that they did, they did kind of more or less make life imitate art because in the film, her character becomes like this big star by the end of the film. Mm. And they used the film as a massive launch pad 
for yeah, Debbie Reynolds to actually push her forward. And that was the time forward, yeah. in the days when the studio system was still like a big thing. And so they pretty much saw stars as like a commodity. Yeah. It was kind of like, oh, look, oh, we've, it, was, yeah. it was pretty much like, look, we found the latest iPhone, Debbie Reynolds. <laughs> they push her forward. It's like, I, mean, oh, I, I think the actors did pretty, must have done. Yeah. But I mean, you know, they, they probably they, had good, nice houses, nice yeah, cars and all that. But so. we do know they did have that system where women with amazing voices, but maybe not that sort of wow factor Pretty, on screen. Yeah. yeah. They used their voices, but mm. they were tired into these contracts where they couldn't ever say, that was me singing. Yeah, yeah. But for years, everyone thought, oh, wow, they've got an amazing voice. It's like, no, it's not her singing. <laughs> like Marnie Dixon, what? we know her now. Mm-hmm. But for years, her voice, she, no, one, no one knew her because yeah. she was just not allowed to speak about the fact that, because she died last year as well. That was uh, another heartbreaker. I thought I recognised the name. Yeah. Yeah. She mm. was the voice of... Um, I mean, they've done that. I, a lot I think in West Side Story, wasn't Natalie Wood? voice yeah, she that was, was a voice she was yeah. dubbed over voice. Audrey my Hepburn in My Fair Lady that was Marnie Nixon is it Nixon or Dixon I think it's Nixon actually Marnie Nixon hmm. she did the voice of um, Audrey Hepburn in My Fair my, Lady yeah. and she did yeah other films as well she, there so, was one yeah, where Ava um, Gardner Ava Gardner in what was it Carousel was it Carousel or Showboat, or Showboat. yeah Showboat, Showboat. Yeah. and she did I think Deborah Carr singing in The King and I Oh yeah, yeah. I remember Lots she did them, and, but yeah, she was best signed this this ironclad contract that you know she'd be ruined forever. Yes, <laughs> if she just, ever did said. you see? Did you see? Did you ever see a photo of her? Do you know what she looked like? Or? Well, she has been in some films. She was she in was. The Sound of Music as one of the nuns. Oh, what? Right. Okay. <gasps> yeah. Oh, she's the one with the cheeks. There's one nun that has very prominent sort of like you know cheeks in in. I'd have to look at it again, but yeah, she's in yeah. there. But she's oh, got wow. one of the. She's like one of the the nuns who nuns. sort of says a. Uh, She's a flippity bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How do you solve a problem like Maria? <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. So, uh, but yeah. So we know that that was based in a form of reality, wasn't it? It was that totally based on reality. It's exploitation of some other people with talent, but not necessarily that screen presence. Yeah, yeah, you it was totally that, based on reality. And uh, and um, Debbie Reynolds. Well, she's Sean. Yeah, she's Sean. Did them yeah. justice. And then from that point on, they made her, they bigged her up and she just kept on making... Well, she ended up in musicals, as we said earlier before the show went, and she was in one with Leslie Nielsen a couple of years later yeah, called yeah, Tammy, Tammy. And the, Tammy yeah. and the Bachelor. So, and um, and uh, some other films that we shall talk about later when we get to the when we get to our hidden gem section. But now we got to go on to Carrie Fisher. Now, so Carrie Fisher, obviously, she was daughter of um, uh, Debbie Reynolds and Eddie Fisher, who was like a big singer in the mm. day. So it was like a real showbiz yeah, family. Yeah, Eddie Fisher. Yeah. Yeah, but and it, but it does seem as if this didn't really play a part. It wasn't like like Debbie Reynolds was pushing her daughter, saying, "Oh, look, she's my daughter. I'm Hollywood royalty. Put her in a film." Um, but in 1977, a little known small independent movie, yeah. <laughs> little known small independent movie that happened to get a couple of old like you know old English stars in it um, called Star Wars <laughs> gets released, and forevermore, forevermore, Carrie Fisher is essentially linked with this tune. Oh, wait a second. Okay, cool. Yeah, we're, we're still on air, guys. Oh. <laughs> Are we? Oh, I thought we... <laughs> no, no. So she's forevermore linked to this tune and linked with Danishes on the side of her head and all that kind of stuff. So it's essentially, well, it's not quite the film that created the blockbuster. 
but I feel like the evident the influence of Star Wars is with us to today yes. in the cinemas when you go there. Mm. I think everybody when they come up with a franchise or anything like that, they're trying to get a new Star Wars. Whether it's they're just trying to do something that has that sense of action and adventure and everything like that. And it and she is as Princess Leia is a central part of this yeah, film. Yeah, she's not just the, the, girl, the bird in it. She is. Yeah, yeah. This, I'm, I'm, right from the very this is the first film I ever saw at the cinema. Was it? Star Wars. Star yeah. Wars. Okay. Really? I, yeah, that was the first film I saw at the cinema. Sean, you were you were just saying something. No, right? no, no, no. I'm fascinated by that. It was the first film to see. <laughs> that would be... Yeah, I mean, she's, she's really feisty. She's a major character right from the start, more or less, from the yeah. radar. I thought I'd smell your stench or something <laughs> like that. Always <laughs> oh, charming as ever. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, because she's pretty much from the first she is, scene, from the very first scene. For, for, yeah. And I think it's and the thing I I because the first time I was talking about seeing Star Wars for the first time, you said it was the first film you saw. The first film I saw the cinema, yeah, when I was seven. Seven, Ooh, that that's a that's a good start. Yeah, that is a good start. Where did you see it? At Newport in the high. Um, yes, it was Newport Studio One. It was called then in the high street of Newport. Where, oh, what is it called now? Yates, um, yeah. Okay, yep. Because cool. I remember there was this. For us, the big part of it was opposite op- opposite the cinema was the sweet shop, Mr. Stag. <laughs> yeah, the old guy. Stag sweet shop. And Mr. Stag ran it for years, so I still can picture Mr. Stag in my head. Yeah. And we'd go over there and we'd get our, you know, ten pence worth of half penny sweets, so you could get, you know, twenty sweets for five p. And there was still, um, yeah, halfpennies then. So yeah, you could get. You bought your sweets over the road, then you went to the cinema. And I remember going with my two brothers and some of the boys down our road because we always... And in those days, I mean, this was the 70s, obviously, you you didn't have to be escorted by an adult everywhere. <laughs> you, really? You, we, we went, just all just the children went. So it was me and my two brothers yeah, and used to a couple off. of the kids yeah. down the road. There was like six of us all on the, yeah, no, on the back rows of the cinema. Watching Star Wars once yeah, one summer afternoon. I mean, it's amazing, really, when you think of the freedom you had as a, you know... Oh, we did Seven, then. Eight yeah. year old, nine. You just go wandering off for for hours. Yeah, because I remember <laughs> only it was only the first couple of weeks of school that your mum and dad took you to school. After that, you expected to get your yeah, own you way. Yeah, get got your own way there. So get your back. I didn't get walked to schools from the age of about well, well since since first year of primary school. Say, yeah. I made my own way yeah. to school. Yeah, I used to. I used to walk now to you wouldn't believe it. Would you? you don't believe it, and you. Well, yeah. Well, nowadays I know that it won't happen. But I I mean, got the, we haven't got the traffic though and other things. But yeah, so going to the cinema was became that at that point on it became a, a thing that you An did adventure. with your friends, your school friends. So oh. I, I frequently became a cinema girl from that point on. Okay, okay, so here's something I wonder because nowadays, obviously, there's a lot of stuff being spoken about about. Um, about equality and representation in Hollywood and all that kind of stuff. So whatever, essentially, anybody who is not a white man, yes, they're, they're like, okay, cool. We So how about the women? How about people from other races and all that kind of stuff that they're trying to get them on? And people hold Leia up as this sort of like, oh my word, we had an action hero on screen. We had someone who wasn't, she wasn't just a damsel in distress there to get rescued and scream when the bad guy showed up. She actually, so what, what was it like actually watching that? No, did you not? Pick, did you not pick I that up? I didn't pick her up at all. You know, to me, she was one of the boys, the same as because I don't think you, see, you didn't the first film. You didn't see her as like a romantic interest because that became later on. That yeah, the mm. romance was introduced. But in the first film, she was one of the boys. She was you know, firing the lasers. She was in the that mucky pit with all the rubbish. Yeah, she was because there's she the, was bit the brains where, where so she what, got them out. So of it. did you guys ever plan to get me out of here? And she just grabs a blaster and starts <laughs> and then, blasting away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't remember that. I love that. I think because the first time I ever saw Star Wars, I mean, obviously, because Star Wars had prevailed. I was in Nigeria, so we knew about this thing called Star Wars, but we never actually watched it. And we and 
Um, the first time I ever saw Star Wars, it was in Italian. My friend just happened to have this version of Star Wars that was dubbed in Italian in his house. So I watched the whole thing in Italian. Yeah. And not hey. really, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just want to put a picture on the, the cantina seat. How, hey. did, how did Dark sound? <laughs> did he still have a... Oh, good Lord, I do not remember. No. I do not re- but, but that is a good question. What did Darth Vader sound like in the Italian dub of Star Wars? <laughs> And, and so it's yeah but I remember it was at my friend's house Ugugu or KKR we would we'd go there and we'd watch this thing and we'd be like oh this is cool and everything and even there you got the sense that this was somebody who sh- sure enough it, it starts off like oh she gets captured and then they have to go rescue her and then but from the second they open up the her cell and the yeah. second she gets out she's just kind of like oh, okay cool it's like aren't you a little short to be a stormtrooper yeah she <laughs> takes over the show doesn't she, she? Does. she's kind of like did you guys have a plan we're just gonna like yeah. we're just gonna like you know bumble your way through this give me that and she like shoots people and shoots something in the wall and, and then jumps in thing. she's the one who sorts out how to get them out of there doesn't yeah, she yeah yeah so yeah, she's, she's not the bird in it. She's got a key role to play. She has a key role to play, and I feel like oh, a lot of what a lot of what you hear. I mean, anecdotally about Carrie Fisher herself sounds like that's very much what she was like. Yeah, that very the, the because as we said, this film when it, when we talk about film roles. When you talk about Carrie Fisher, you talk about film roles. It was Star Wars. It was Princess Leia. Yeah. That just sort of like straddled her entire her entire career, and that was just what people know her from on screen. Yeah. So after that, she was known more for stuff that she did off screen, like her screenwriting or her novel writing mm. or stuff like that. Or she would play like a little supporting roles in other films and all that. So, but from what she did off screen, it's a lot of stuff where it just kind of like, apparently she was very much sort of go get this. She was very much walking to the room and go, what the heck's going on here? Why isn't that being sorted out? Okay, get that thing done. So I think it's, I think it's pretty cool, especially where you think, I think she was 20 at the time. When yeah, she, she was very young, wasn't she? She was young. Yeah, when, when she did that. And it's, it's just great seeing that she comes on screen. It's, pro- it's her second lead thing. Mm-hmm. I think Mark Hamill had been in movies before Harrison Ford was, well, he was still kind of starting out, but I think it was, but, and even being across people like David Prowse and Peter Cushing and all, and he just holds her own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, (laughs) Totally, totally holds her own. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean. Where do you get your delusions from, laser brain? (laughs) (laughs) Who says that to who? That's what um, Leia says to Solo. At one, one point, I can't remember exactly what point, but I just it sort of stuck in my mind for ages. That was the first one. Where do you get your delusions from, laser brain? <laughs> I do remember sort of someone getting this yeah, giant walking carpet book. out of my way. Oh, yeah, yeah, talking about Chewie. That's no way to talk to a Wookiee. And Chewie just goes, <laughs> <laughs> Good Wookiee. <laughs> That probably means something extraordinary in Wookiee. I actually have a book at home called How to Speak Wookiee. <laughs> <laughs> it has like a little sort of like it, it has a it has a little sort of electronic thing where you press different buttons and it gives yeah. you different phrases in Wookiee. <laughs> <laughs> they all sound like different versions of <laughs> <laughs> But but yeah, so I mean Star Wars. Star Wars she it's it, I just think well apparently she had quite a and I think like Mark Hamill had a similar thing because the only person who really managed to escape from the sort of Star Wars lure was Harrison Ford. Yeah, he's yeah. the one. Because even, even if you think of Billy D. Williams, who has played Lando Carizia, that's what he's known as. Yeah, yeah, yeah even now. True. And he did lots of films before and yeah. films after, but yeah. he's still Lando mm. Carizia, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, that, that's what he's known as. Almost everybody in Star Wars 
more or less got like they were their that, character. That, that it just became such a big yeah. thing. Apart from Harrison Ford, and apparently she had some. David was the Green Cross Code Man, of course. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> but I think he was. But... I think he was actually. He was a flip side. He was annoyed that nobody knew him as Darth yeah, Vader right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because he had a helmet on and he didn't use his own voice because nobody would buy a bad guy from that. Bristol. Yeah, so... <laughs> they'll bristle. Yeah, they'll bristle bad guys. <laughs> so it's. Um, yeah, but it, yes, yeah, it, it was a blessing and a curse at the same time, wasn't it? That, that yeah. this it consumed the rest of their careers in many ways. It did, and I think she eventually she she came. She you resist it, then you embrace it. Don't yeah, you? she embraced it eventually. I, there's a there was a time when she when Star Wars: The Force Awakens was released last year. She was on Graham Norton um, with um, Daisy Ridley, who is the star of yeah, the new one, right. and she tells this story which I don't think I can repeat, <laughs> which I don't think I can repeat, but if you can find it, just sort of like go go on, go on YouTube, Carrie Fisher, Carrie Fisher on Graham Norton, because she tells a story about meeting a guy who had grown up with the films, especially Return of the Jedi, and everybody, when it comes to Return of the Jedi, there's, all, yeah. there's a particular scene yeah. with Carrie Fisher in it, a yeah. particular costume with Carrie Fisher in it, that, let's say made very a lot of young men very happy for decades i think it probably still is <laughs> it still does yeah. <laughs> yeah it probably still is but uh, she tells a story about that or meeting somebody who was talking to her about that thing which i don't think i can repeat but it's i was actually going to play it but i thought nah no, we probably can't we can't get away with this but it's it's really 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 funny and i think gives an gives an insight into what she was like uh I guess I don't think they thought Star Wars. The, the actual studios didn't think Star Wars was going to be as popular as it was, did no, they? Really? They oh, no, they just thought it like a space western, didn't and they? And then yeah, but um, old George Lucas, because he said, "Well, I, you know, if you put up the money, I, 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 you don't have to pay me. I'll take yeah, royalties he, he, on." He'll yeah. take he took the royalties. Yeah. I think that changed the way we we speak, we experience cinema now. In that, I think for me, I remember the games and the toys and the, mm-hmm. the annuals. Yeah, it was like and huge. Yeah. Everything. My brothers had the plastics. They're the lightsabers. Yeah, they were like the tube lights you get now in your the, the overhead lighting. They were, mm. they were like a torch at the end with this long plastic tube, and you went, <laughs> and then <laughs> it made funny noises when you swung it about. Yeah, and so yeah, they both had lightsabers. Yeah, the we, merchandising we, and all that. Yeah, I think that was the first film I remember that really that went big into yeah. having everything that went with it. You yeah. had the models, you had the magazines, you had there was a comic, you had the there mug. Was, everything yeah. to do with it that's so it. I think that's and I think George Lucas was very canny in that he said I'll take all the merchandising rights yeah yeah. I think that's where he made his fortune in the oh, first yeah. film I mean yeah he made so much money from that he didn't have to make another film for 20 years yeah. <laughs> yeah. he pretty much didn't have to do anything for years that changed in many years. ways the way we see films now because now, you don't yeah. see any films now without some sort of merchandise yeah. that goes with it does now all the time, yeah. Even the films you think are pretty awful, you think, why would I want a mug with this on? I mean, or a t-shirt or an action figure. The but only they're thing, all there. Yeah, the only thing I remember from movies when I was a nipper was you used to get like um, little plastic kits of like the Mummy and Frankenstein and yeah. Dracula, and you had to sort of put them together. But there was no, you know, that that was about the only merchandise you used to get. And I used to read the American comics and I was like, oh. You know, classic model of Frankenstein. Oh yeah, yeah, because yeah. they would have them in the back, yeah, like in the yeah, Archie in the comics back. and all that kind of stuff. So like, yeah. send away, send, send twenty dollars yeah. off, and you get like you know your X-ray goggles. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest, the biggest disappointment was sea monkeys. Yeah. What? The, <laughs> what the, okay. You never, what, never know. What the heck are sea monkeys? Right, they used to be. Uh, they used to be this whole page advert in in the the Marvel and DC comics, and it was space monkeys, and they had like these king and queen space monkeys and they look like 
you know huge things like a whole whole race anyway I had some space monkeys once I think oh sea monkeys yeah. and they're like little little sea monkeys yeah. space monkeys <laughs> talking <laughs> Star Wars yeah. Um, yeah and they're just like little Daphne like little tiny brine shrimpy type things so they yeah. just they don't do anything they just <laughs> float about like that but but this advert it used to go you'd think wow they were sat on thrones like they'd have yeah. two build yourself a nice, world yeah yeah sea monkeys <laughs> and it was just these little white things all sort of flopping about and they didn't last long they only lasted like about five days i think <laughs> okay all right cool so that's it that so we those are the bona fide classics that we know debbie reynolds and carrie fisher were in that nobody can argue with they broke records did stuff mm. changed a lot of stuff about the way film works and yeah then they got tied to those characters for the rest of their lives but um and in a way i think it's it's not a bad thing i mean to have one thing that changes the world like that yeah. I'll, t- I'll take that. Yeah. I think you either fight it or you embrace it. It's like with the, some of the Star Trek actors. Again, they've had the same thing, uh, haven't they? That they are forever going to be. Ben Spiner. Yeah, they're forever <laughs> going to be their character. And you either go with the conventions or you try to ignore it. Yeah. And then eventually, most of them just give in, don't they? Say, you know what? I'm just going to, okay, I'm Captain Picard. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to, <laughs> yeah. I can't fight it. I'm going to embrace it. Although he's still, he's still like, Doing that now, yeah, he's doing like X Men, isn't he? Like Professor oh, yeah. X and all he has a lot. Later in the show, I want to talk about the trailer for Logan. Oh yeah. Okay, I'm but okay. Any, but well, now we digress. Yeah, but we've got to move on. We've got to move on and go on to the next section of our show, which is where we talk about hidden gems. So this is a section where we talk about films that well, they don't really get much love nowadays. I think I've been thinking about it. I think that's what we're really talking about. We're talking about films that they don't don't get much love nowadays. Yeah. People might have known about them at the time they were released, but now it's like people are like, what what's that? And so, going with our usual Nigerian um, format, we're going first with Debbie Reynolds. Sharon, you picked this film. Can you tell us what film you picked? I picked a 1962 film that has Debbie Reynolds as part of an ensemble cast, but I picked How the West Was Won. How the West Was Won. Now, the thing with this is that I know the title, but I... I know that, that title is something that you hear over and over and over again. Yeah. I don't, I've never heard of the film. I don't, well, I've never seen the film. Don't know what the film's about. Have you heard the theme? The theme. Have you got the, uh, Oh, uh, we got, we got, a, we got yeah. a little, we got a little blast of the theme here okay. by Alfred Newman. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let, let's, okay, let's, let's try a little blast of the theme. See what we get with that. Mm, yeah, I know this. I, I know the tune. I used to sing it. See, when I hear this, I want to ask, is John Wayne in this movie? He is in this movie. <laughs> is he? Yeah. <laughs> I hear that I'm going, that sounds like a John Wayne Western soundtrack he score going this, on there. Yeah. Like it's so almost hard, stars, it's, it's it? easier to say who's not in it, really. James <laughs> Stewart, yeah, it's one of those. those okay, I, 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 I stole a look at a poster. Is Clark Gable in it? No. no. Okay, cool. Who was that then? This is, yeah, this is 1962, so that's, yeah, he's probably coming towards the end of his life then. Okay, but... Oh, okay, never mind. Yeah. So, so what is this? What's this film about? This is a. It literally is the the term sprawling epic was, I think, invented to cover this sort of film. It's it's charts the life of the West through the lives of a family. Okay. So you see them starting off in the days of the early pioneers when the the West has not been tamed beyond the St. Louis, like the the Missouri River. Oh yeah. Or the Mississippi. They had to cross the Mississippi and then you spread west from there. And so it's a story from the point of view of this one family where you see them crossing the 
the Mississippi mm-hmm. and then sort of landing in like the Missouri type area of America. Yep. And then you see the next phase is like the Civil War and then you get that the cattle drives, the railroad. Yeah. The the and then you've got these each part of the film is constructed like its own little film. Okay. So it's like a proper anthology. So you could watch it in each individual section and say, okay, that's a bit I like. I like the early pioneer stuff. <laughs> so I watched that half an hour or so. Yeah. And then you, the film moves on, but it takes like one member of the family and then follows their story. Okay. So you start off with like a family of uh, a husband and wife, Carl Molden. I can't remember who plays the wife, who plays the father, and then their two daughters. Mm-hmm. And one of the daughters is played by Debbie Reynolds. She plays Lilith Prescott, Lily Prescott. Mm-hmm. And so you see her story, and then you see her sister's story. And her sister marries James Stewart, Ooh. and they have children. One of them is, becomes George Peppard, <laughs> <laughs> and and then you see all these. You follow these storylines as the as the film sort of spreads out to cover the whole of the the expansion of the American frontier. Yeah, from about eighteen forty right through to the eighteen eighties, it covers like a this sort of long period of time. Okay. And so you see Lily, um, you see the turn three different sections of the film. You see her as a young girl setting off with her family from the East. The first pioneers, the first people who like went into the West. Yeah. With, um, you know, traveling down the Mississippi in rafts they build themselves and having to like cut down virgin forest and when they cross the lands they're the first like white people to be in those areas. Yeah. So it's yeah. a real pioneer type. Experience. So Little House on the Prairie kind of thing. Yeah, before that. Yeah. But yeah, that sort of thing where <laughs> yeah. they are proper pioneers. They haven't. They can't fall back on civilization because you know they are it. They, they are the ones making. They the are civilization. the frontier. Yeah, they are forging the frontiers. Right. So you see her. Okay, so so you said that she's in a. So this film has like you said they're like little little films, and each yeah, one of them is directed by a different they person. They have different something. directors. Yes, it's uh, some of the sections are directed by John Ford. Some of them are by a director called. Henry Hathaway and other bits by George Marshall, but each and they have so they have their each distinctive look. Mm-hmm. They each take and own their own bit of the film. Is John and Wayne in the John Ford section of in it? In the John Ford, <laughs> the yeah, he's, section, that's yeah. This called the Civil War, so that covers the Civil War years. Okay, and so yeah, that is a bit. So you see, Lilith first of all, she's the, the young flighty sister. She's gone west with her family, but she doesn't really want to be. A farmer's wife. She's the farmer's daughter, and mm-hmm. she's a farmer's sister, mm-hmm. and she's happy for her sister to be a farmer's wife. But she, that's not the role she wants. So you see her as like this rebellious, slightly flighty young girl at the beginning, and then she decides that she's going to forge her own path. And so she goes decides and so when her family decides to settle in Missouri and become farmers there, she decides she's going to push on. And so she joins the, the wagon trains. In search of gold, so okay. she is after fortune. She's after a new life. So she, so, so she leaves her family behind. And she leaves her family the camera behind follows her, going the camera off, follows her, going further section, west. Yeah, you see her. Yeah. So it follows her, and then she meets this adventurer, Gregory Peck, mm-hmm. and he's a gambler. He's an adventurer. He's a risk taker, and you know they sort of just sort of hit spark, sort of knock sparks off each other, mm-hmm. and so they meet, but then they part. And then she becomes like a singer in a saloon and he gambles and wins a fortune and then they get together to... She inherits a gold mine from one of the customers at the saloon. Yeah. And so they could set off together to to exploit this gold mine. Yeah. And then, without going through the whole story, so, they, so you see their <laughs> lives as the, this life of adventure and adversity and they face through every challenge and they... 
yeah, they want to rip their way through life rather yeah. than just you know sail the way through life. And you said that you said earlier that the, that Deborah Reynolds essentially so there's five sections of this film and she shows up in three of them. There's more than five sections, but yeah, there's about eight sections I'd okay. say. And she's in she focuses on her in three of them. So in her girlhood, she's in the girl that bit. Mm-hmm. Then it, it's her main story is when she's in the gold rush story, and at the end of her life, when she's an older lady, um, she visits her nephew George Peppard and visits him at his ranch. And you see her as an old lady where she's her husband has died and she's selling off all her possessions. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, we had a great life together. We we won and lost a for, three fortunes. You know, they invested in the railways. They invested in gold mines. They did. They just lived their lives. Yeah. And so in her old age, she decides that she's going to go live with her nephew and make her last days there with him. So you see her in her girlhood. You see her in her prime. And then you see her in her sort of age and so you see the versatility of Debbie Reynolds as an actress and she gets to sing in it because she's on stage at one point in the saloon she does it she kicks and dances about so you see her in all her different characters we've come to know yeah, because because uh, this was about ten years after singing in the rain, so yeah, she was after. about thirty. Yeah, when she, when when she did this, and but it sounds like it's a bit more dramatic and not what you would expect or what you would expect from a Debbie Reynolds kind of like movie. It's like oh, well, yeah, she's a bit more challenged in it. I mean, there's there's definitely the De- Debbie Reynolds you know in that she sings, she dances, she's like the romantic interest in the mm-hmm. film, and um, but then you see her as an older woman you see her through adversity because you know her she has her fortunes have waxed and waned when she's gone west but you see that she doesn't she's always a strong woman and she never see her play a weak character mm-hmm. and in this she's a she's a strong sort of feisty <laughs> there's actually the, the sections woman. are in sort of you know chronological order really yeah. yeah so like the first one's the rivers next that's 1839 the next one's the plains 1851 and it goes all the way up Civil War, 61 to 65, and the Railroad, 1868, and finishes with the Outlaws. So I suppose spans a period of, you know, quite a few decades. Yeah, and all these generations, he's like three generations of this one family. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so, so it's good. I think it's good, and it just show her as, yeah, that someone who is more than just smiley, singing. Debbie Reynolds. Yeah, Debbie Debbie Reynolds in it is really good. Yeah, the film. I mean, I, I I like my westerns, but yeah, because that's the thing. I was, think, I was thinking, I was thinking, like you it's, know, you you love your westerns. It has the it, it has the word west in the title. Yeah, yeah. But it is it's not a typical western. So it's, I'm, uh, I'm guessing it, you've seen it. it has, yeah, yeah, I've seen it a couple of times. Yeah. Um, but I, I, it's not really. I mean, as as a western aficionado, I'm not really particularly enamoured with it certain certain you've got to take your bits, bits you like haven't you because like, the yeah. civil war bit is outstanding but what I do remember is it being in Cinerama which was like the three three yeah. camera process and I, I I mean it was pretty spectacular there because you're completely wrapped around you know the whole so especially the rivers screen. at the start and and that probably more than anything else is the opening when it starts off with James Stewart getting in a in a canoe and like you can hear all the water and everything and he's going down you know, down the river. Did you see this in the cinema? Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> so, so I mean, because films like this, like this, like Lawrence of Arabia, they they was used to be re released all the time. So, yeah. you, you know, they were uh, same with all the Disney films. They they used to re release yeah. them every. So you know, uh, the Snow White would in the school holidays you'd get Snow White, and that would be you know, yeah, sixty seventy. So they'd always, you know, always re release them. Yeah, so if it's a few years, every yeah. well, every couple of years, you could see it at the cinema. Yeah, yeah, because they, as I say, different cinemas would show them, different cinemas would would re-release them, you know. So yeah, so but this was like, 
But sometimes it's on Turner Classic Movies. Yes, it is. <laughs> and, I, and you can actually see when the, yeah, the, the, the three, the different, the different, you can actually see where the three, it's, it's really worth watching just for that. Well, just, especially just, the begin, yeah, especially the beginning with the with the rivers, because it's like three screen process or three camera process, and you can actually see they've tried to make the join, so it's in it's almost like a triptych. You know? <laughs> yeah, the, you can see a line down the screen. Yeah, yeah at some and point. I mean they found lots of Cinerama prints that they've tried to, because I mean mo- mostly Cinerama was holiday in Egypt or you know this is the great, and it was like a huge process where, well it's like I think they call it cinema. 360 now or something but it, it was total total wrap around or cinemascope but, yes no no cinerama oh, cinemascope okay. came a bit later okay. cinema that was just a, a one camera process with an anamorphic lens but yeah. the the uh, cinerama process was three cameras mm. so but it was too expensive i think there was only three actual feature films made which one was the brothers the fairy tale grim or something there's there, there's three cinerama films made but i can't remember actual feature films hey, and then I'm- after that they went to the they they called it seventy millimeter Panavision. Yeah. After that, with just the one camera. I think the, there's one. Oh, Drad. So, uh, I think it's uh, there's a John Ford one. I think that used something like that because it sounds like the kind of thing that he would have done. He loved his vistas. Vistas. Yeah. yeah. Well, there was like Panavision, VistaVision, CinemaScope. And there was there was you know they, each each studio had a different you that name for them. Yeah. Experience. Yeah. <laughs> Technorama. Yeah, so it's, I think it classifies as a hidden gem. Sorry, Shawnee. Yeah, no, that's right. It's just, no, carry on. But I think it classifies as a hidden gem in that where so many people are in it and yeah. it's such a long film yeah. that I think you can forget that Debbie Reynolds was part of that ensemble. Mm. Yeah. And I think her bits do sort of stand out in the fact that, you know, she's she holds her own against... She plays with Gregory Peck. She you know, is more than a match for him. And early on, her dad's like Carl Molden and her brother-in-law's James Stewart. And, you know, yeah. she... She sort yeah. of bucks the trend of a typical. Yeah. You know, Again, she's not just the no. bird in it, no. which is a nice. I think. I think she has a few rows with her dad. Yeah, because you know, you know. yeah, he wants her to settle yeah. down, marry a nice farmer, to live a nice life, <laughs> and you know, an uncomplicated life. And she's yeah. like, no, 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 I want the complicated life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, cool, so cool. How the West was won. Uh, oh, oh, uh, Debbie Reynolds hidden hidden gem for today, and now we're going to Carrie Fisher. Now, because of the rules of the show, because of the rules of this show, in that we have to go with films before 1980, that kind of limits it a bit because um, there's few people who you can find who actually fulfill every single section of this show. Like, you know, did films before 1980 and then did films after 1980 that were still good. So, uh, so she has, okay, she has the Star Wars movies. We've, we're, we've covered those and everything like that. She has in, um, 1980, right on the line, around the line, I call it the Hawkeye line. Mm-hmm. It's like a tennis thing right on the line. It's the Blues Brothers, which yeah. is, yeah, the Blues Brothers, which everybody knows is my, well, so those, those who listen would have, would know my absolute love, my undying, unflinching love for the Blues Brothers. But in 1975, two years before Star Wars, she's in a movie called Shampoo, which Boy was, yeah, Warren Beatty, starring Warren Beatty, directed by Hal Ashby, and I thought because like, oh, I thought because I know uh, on this podcast I take any opportunity I'm given, and some opportunities that I'm not given, I still take them <laughs> to talk about how much I love the uh, how much I love the Blues Brothers, and especially Carrie Fisher in the Blues Brothers is hilarious <laughs> because she is she, the okay the two brothers she's the she's the she's the 
she's not even the wife. She was jilted at the altar from one of the brothers. One of the brothers jilted her at the altar. And she just keeps showing up at random points <laughs> of the film and keeps trying to kill them <laughs> in in increasing cartoonish ways <laughs> that you think that would have worked. So here's, here she is with a bomb. Here she is with a rocket launcher. Here she is with a flamethrower. Here she is with a machine gun. And she just keeps showing up with all these weapons trying to kill them. But anyway, I, I love her in that. But I thought we'd talk about shampoo instead. So this is her screen debut. It's a screen debut. She's actually in this film for probably about 12 minutes. Okay. But hey, people have won Oscars for less. So it's... um yeah, and Dame Judy. Yeah, yeah, Dame Judy. So it's directed by Hal Ashby, who is the same guy who directed Being There, who we, we spoke about, which is the Peter Sellers movie that everybody said Peter Sellers should have won an Oscar for. Mm-hmm. And this film seems to show... Uh, it's actually quite interesting because of, with everything that's happening today, we're recording this on the day where Donald Trump gets sworn in as a president. And this is actually... This film is set in the 24 hours between the election eve and the election results of the first time Richard Nixon was elected as a president. As okay. A, yeah, and, and it ends up being like a sort of satire. The same way being there's a satire of like, you know, almost of like rich guys in those like the sort of rich posh Americans in New York. This is a satire of Hollywood and it's a satire of all the people. So you have, it's called Shampoo because Warren Beatty plays, uh, he plays a hairdresser. He plays a hairdresser and it's uh, it becomes very obvious very quickly that he is essentially just sleeping with anything that, yeah, anything that has a skirt. Anything that has a skirt, <laughs> he will sleep with it. So, and it's and so it, it turns out that he, because and it has a great cast of especially women. It's got Lee Grant, Goldie Hawn, Julie Christie. <laughs> and these are all... Essentially, who's who of 70s cinema ladies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's who of 70s cinema ladies. They're all brilliant in it. Warren Beach is brilliant and he sleeps with all of them. <laughs> essentially if there's a woman with a name with this he, he sleeps with it and it's all and the, it looks all about okay what actually goes on behind the scenes with all these so sort of, essentially again once again seems to be something for Hal Ashby rich guys in um in well in LA so the there's a there's an actor called Jack Warden I'm not sure if you if you see his face, you recognize him. He ends up he ends up in a lot of stuff, and he's brilliant in this because he plays this rich guy who's running like a fundraiser for Nixon, or he wants wants Nixon to win. So that night, he's going to have this thing where he brings everybody together. Carrie Fisher plays his daughter, and she plays the daughter of um, him and he and his wife. But Warren Beatty is sleeping with the wife. Mm. Warren Beatty is sleeping with the wife at the same time. The Jack Warden character, the Carrie Fisher dad character is sleeping with Warren Beatty's ex-girlfriend. <laughs> okay. So it's it's all kind of like crazy and it's kind of like all over the shop and everything like that. And Carrie Fisher, obviously, she's really, really young in this. She's She sort of like shows up and she's kind of like, you know, the bratty teenager, the bratty, sulky teenager who is bored because all she her parents ignore her and all she does is just like she there's scenes at the beginning the first time you see her she's just kind of like on the phone and her parents are ignoring her in the background then she walks out in like tennis with a tennis racket and she just walks through the scene and then walks out of the room and <laughs> there's like nothing paid to her whatsoever and and she she eventually end, ends up with having this one scene with Warren Beatty where she's he's supposed to wait for her mom and she's essentially asking him so are you sleeping with my mom <laughs> it's like no no I sleep with my I sleep with my mom and then Warren Beatty does what Warren Beatty does in this film anyway <laughs> with with the Carrie Fisher character but I think like even in that small area that she is you have this feisty thing you have this not typical she she is it's kind of like a hard-nosed hard-edged mm. and even in the small time that she's on screen you get the feeling that she and her mother don't really get along she and her mother don't really get along she has like ooh, 
maybe this is another life imitating art. Yeah, that's it. It's looking a bit. <laughs> it's because close to home, isn't it? Because there was a bit where she had her drug problems and she was like a tearaway teen and all that kind of stuff. And she and Debbie Reynolds were not really getting. Yeah, she on. famously didn't go on with any of us. She had two stepfathers, didn't she? She famously didn't go on with either any of them. Of them. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, but then it was only later in life that they sort of reconciled and all that. But in in this. But she's, but I think she's actually like a real great presence in the movie. I think it's a great film. It's great performances all round. And considering that this is the first thing she'd done on on film, she's she's acting opposite Warren Beatty, who was a massive star at that mm. time. And there's like no phase whatsoever. She's like telling him off and all that. And this this um the scenes that she's in with him, in which you think she's actually the one in control here. Yeah. <laughs> like, he has, like, no control over what happens now. She's the one in control. So as I said, she's only in it for about 12 minutes, but I think that she actually, it's it's an effective 12 minutes. It's an effect. It's probably even shorter. And, um, yeah, and I, I, I recommend the film if you, if you want to go see it. It seems to be a lot about oh, the satire of those people and, yeah. like, and of that whole thing and what's going on. But and also, but I think a, a mention has to go to Jack Warden, who plays, who mm. plays, and he he's just because he 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 plays this guy who's from like you know old school, old money, all the kind, of, and he play he's he's like befuddled for the entire movie, walking around <laughs> going, oh yeah, and especially when he has a bit where his mistress meets his wife, and he's trying to he's trying to explain it away, and he's just so brilliantly awkward, <laughs> and then he ends up at like because it's the seventies, he ends up at like no, it's the sixties actually, sixty eight, he ends up at the party. And it's like, you know, this sort of like free love party and there's people walking around with no clothes on and there's people like hanging out. There's this hilarious thing he has where somebody offers him like a cigarette and he looks and he just looks at the cigarette and he kind of goes, oh, yeah, yeah. And he just holds up his, his whiskey glasses and no, I'm OK. <laughs> <laughs> and, just, and then he this walks. This is past, my voice of choice. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. Essentially, it's like you have that. My generation had this. And if, if there's bits where he walks past like, you know, some people skinny dipping and they're like, oh, come join us. He's like. Well, don't mind if I do. So I think is yeah. Oh, I watched the film. I actually watched it earlier today, and I would say shampoo if you can um, track it down. It's actually quite a good thing, and especially of that time, and especially of because it was released apparently the year after the Watergate scandal Watergate broke. Stuff. Yeah, it was released like the year after that happened, and so it's almost like contrasting the optimism that people had when Nixon first came to power with what happened with where it ended up so everybody watching the film knows what happens however everybody in the film is actually like yeah we got Nixon in things are gonna be great and I think for what happened with what's happening in America right now with the presidential with the new president and all that I think it's kind of poignant I, I wonder what kind of films people will be making in four years' time? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that will be, be very be interesting. interesting. It's yeah. going to be interesting. Because I like those political films. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I think because, because I think Warren Beatty, he's he's done a couple of political films yeah. because he did Bullworth, which was very, very political. And I'm thinking like I'm thinking in four years' time, Warren Beatty and George Clooney, as long as they're still with us. Yeah, George, <laughs> George Clooney, I just think, is an absolute... I, I, I really, really love his stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, you know, everything from the eyes of March, just like yeah, I, I think I think great. get get George Clooney and yeah. Warren Beatty together, they should make a Trump film in four Trump years time. Film, yeah, uh, yeah that's, uh, I, I would watch that. Yeah, <laughs> I would. I would watch that. I would, t- I would totally watch that. And they need to get Alec Baldwin to play Trump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. Have, have you seen Alec Baldwin playing Trump on the Saturday Night Live sketches? I haven't. No, yeah. I've seen, I, I think I've seen one of them. Yeah, you yeah. should Google them, like Alec Baldwin. I do. I will check funny. them out. Are they? Yeah. It, they are the, funny. 
Because I don't always find Saturday Night Live very funny, but I find yeah. these ones are, are quite... Yeah. They're I, on the ball. I, I agree with you on that. I agree with you on that. And I, th- I think the more I watch, see Alec Baldwin, the more I see of what he does, the more I think that, you know, in Team America, the movie... Yeah. Oh, no, he's going to act out Alec Baldwin, <laughs> the greatest actor in the world. Like, Alec Baldwin, he's the greatest actor in the world. <laughs> the more you actually see as it grows older, you're going, they might have a point. He, he is a lot better than a lot of people give him credit for. Yes. Because he was when he was Grummer, he was kind of like the pretty boy actor. Yeah. But he is... Alec Baldwin's an amazing actor. He is so, so on point. It's... Uh, anyway. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, we need to move on. We need to move on. So, Hidden Gems. Shampoo for Carrie Fisher. The first, her first uh, screen appearance. And uh, How the West Was Won for Debbie Reynolds. Won. Once again, thank you so much wherever you guys are right now and however you can hear us for... What you left behind. And now we go to the section where we talk about films that were made after 1980 because their careers continued. And we're going to talk about um, films that they made after, well, yeah, films that they showed up in after 1980 that we think, oh, that's actually still pretty good. And uh, going again, Deborah Reynolds first. The film that we're going to talk about is a film that I remember watching it and when they said, oh, and Debbie Reynolds, I was like, hang on a second, that name sounds familiar because this was round about the time I was getting into, like, you know, you were talking about TCM. TCM, And it was called TNT back in those days and it was in in Nigeria and it was when I was getting into that whole golden age of Hollywood thing Ah. and I'd just seen Singing in the Rain and it was Debbie Reynolds and this film comes out and watching it, I was like, Debbie Reynolds, oh my God, oh my God, is Debbie Reynolds? It's someone from Singing in the Rain! (laughs) And because she didn't really do much stuff, um, after as later on Ghana because I I mean in the 80s and stuff like that I can't really think of much cinematically released with Debbie Reynolds in it no uh, she popped up every now and then but she was more or less playing herself wasn't she because she did a lot of cabaret and sort of Vegas lounge singing that you know to us sounds quite nice but I think in America that was like the death of your career if you ended up lounge singing in Las Vegas uh, for a a period it was (laughs) (laughs) I think think definitely 70s and 80s it's kind of like oh no no one else will hire them so it's, it's I, like, I think she had a TV show, didn't she, as well? Yeah. So she obviously went to TV to yeah in the sixties, which is you when, know I mean when TV, TV was the enemy yeah of cinema. But mm. now the I mean if you think a lot of the Amazon and all that they're making their own series and some of the series are as good as movies, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, and that's a lot of people are going because at least it's a steady job and you know you'll be there for six months. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there is that. There used to be that whole especially with American actors. Yeah, like, you know, there's like movie just, actors yeah and then there's like the television actors, actors yeah. yeah and there's a real stigma, a a stigma that if you were television you were like a, like a lesser yeah. breed mm-hmm. and then if you're a movie actor it was just like whoa but then i think a lot of the british actors were like hey, you know what you know we do what we work we, we, we do we do theater we do television we do film yeah, yeah. That's it. i think some of them thought actually these are good actors and they're doing good stuff but mm. just in different mediums yeah. so i think yeah. it, the word yeah. spread yeah, but I, I think I think it's it's, it's well, I, I quite like what we have now. But come 1997, um, there's a movie called In and Out yeah, that it. that gets released with and has Debbie Reynolds in it as a character's mum, a character's wedding mad mum. So this is a film that is pretty much the premise of this film came from uh, an acceptance speech that Tom Hanks did when he won his first Best Actor Oscar for Philadelphia. So in Philadelphia, Tom Hanks plays a gay lawyer who is who contracts AIDS, 
and so he comes out and he's when he's uh, when he's giving the the whole speech he's he's talking about he mentions two people or a teacher and one of his friends and he says who are some of the most amazing gay men that i know in my life <laughs> and so in this film i'm not sure whether this has actually happened in real life but in this film they have this it kicks off and there's this kid who used to go to this small town and he's actually now an actor he's up for an oscar and everybody in this town is gathering around together to watch this thing and you have kevin klein who is playing a character who Kevin Klein, he he's playing a character who he's he's a teacher at the school. He taught this guy. He's engaged to get married in a couple of weeks and all that. And so, th- this this actor played by Matt Dillon wins the Oscar. He gets up on stage and he's like thanking everybody. And he he says, "I just want to thank this teacher who was my my drama teacher back in school, who taught me everything and everything like that." And everybody's like, "Yeah." they're clapping for him in the town because like yeah man he's mentioning you you're being mentioned on national TV and then he ends it off with and he's gay (laughs) (laughs) now now bearing in mind that this is a guy who's about to get married whose mother played by Debbie Reynolds is busy getting all happy about the fact her son is getting married and he's the only son as well and he's arranging all this stuff and getting the wedding married and his fiance is there as well and everybody's like what? what are you gay? and and so (laughs) the film now turns into this whole thing where he's he essentially spends the next night minutes trying to convince everybody that he is not gay that he is really going to get married to his get married to his fiance and all this kind of stuff and it becomes it becomes kind of like it's like you ever seen a romantic comedy where you have uh, usually the lead well, being a fem- uh, female who has like a marriage a wedding coming up and then there's a spanner in the works that just sort of like keep coming and then you know where it's going because she's going to get to the end and she's going to be like you know actually what no that's the one I really really love you can fit in almost anything made in Manhattan Sudom Alabama that's the, what happens and pretty much this is a romantic comedy with the big obstacle being that this man has to come to the fact that realize that he's gay. gay. <laughs> they realize that he's actually gay. I've the, not seen it. Yeah, I would so. say it is no, funny. There's it. a great scene actually, isn't there, where he has to he plays his tape. You know how to prove that you're not gay, <laughs> and he says, uh, <laughs> and he plays his tape. It's like, no, are you standing there? Is your shirt tucked in? And it's like, yes, untuck your shirt. And it's like, oh, no, <laughs> untuck my shirt. And then they play music, and he says, are you? you know, and <laughs> they play like, this disco music, and Don't they say, you dancing? Don't dance. Don't dance. And he starts <laughs> oh to shake God. his shoulders and shake his hips. Like and absolutely do not dance you do not dance and then he's you see him basically does a full dance routine around uh. his house and they're saying if you want you know, straight men do not dance it's Audra I think I think and they have I think the, the tape that he plays the voice on the tape is Arnold Schwarzenegger the most yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. the most manly man telling you don't uh. dance it's no, it's it's actually really really funny. Oh, but, uh, yeah, part of it's, yeah, it is. It's just funny, isn't it? It's it's it's, funny. it's it's a funny film. It was famous because at that time it, it featured one of the first sort of like gay or man on man screen kisses, screen, right. which is like okay. a twelve second lip lock between Tom Selleck and Kevin Klein. So Tom Selleck, Magnum PI. Oh, I think I might have read something about <laughs> it, but yes. as I say, I. I, I, I and it's like the inconceivable mm. sight of yeah, Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck with his big moustache. I don't think he has a moustache. No, he, he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a moustache in this film. Because yeah. he went through a phase where he was no tash. Yeah. Right, okay. Trying Did to he? run away from Magnum P.I. Yeah. And now, but now has he's, he got a tash he's, again now? He's totally his... owning the tash. Is he? Because he's in, what's it, Blue Bloods? Blue Bloods. Yeah, he owns that tash. Yeah. <laughs> I, only, I only really know him from the TV series. Magnum P.I., yeah. Magnum P.I., really. Yeah, so and, and obviously, and yeah, you have one western, I think, which he was in, which I wasn't particularly enamoured. Quickly with. down under. Oh, yeah, quickly down under. I remember yeah. that. 
So and so you have all this, and you have like Debbie Reynolds, who's this mother who is getting totally devastated about the fact that this big wedding that she wants, that she's all she's ever really wanted, is this big wedding is being totally <laughs> destroyed by by her son playing around and saying that he might be gay. Yeah. And when his fiance is played, but I think she's one of my favourite sort of secondary actresses she never plays the main Joan lead. Cusack Joan Cusack but I absolutely yeah. love her yeah. and there's, they had this one scene where she's sort of thinking you know they are, she has her suspicions about him yeah. where she's saying you know, oh you know about Barbara Streisand do we have to watch another Barbara Streisand film <laughs> and then like the <laughs> and then to provoke him to beyond limits she says oh, she was too old to play Yentl <laughs> and it was like that's yeah. it the wedding's off <laughs> <laughs> it was like the ultimate insult for any yeah, Barbara Streisand yeah, fan yeah, and, yeah. but she was perfect and yeah it, uh, she was just perfect in it and yeah Debbie Reynolds was just that that you know that proper mum that just wants everything mad mum yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> who, who gets a, who, who gets a joke her thing in the end because she gets to renew her vows happy ending for her she gets oh, to renew her vows with her husband dude. played by Wilford Brimley he of the, no, that's a mustache. That's a tash. That's a tash. The walrus tash. Yeah. And so it's so, so yeah. So great. All in all, I I I really really like In and Out. I think it's I think it's quite a good film. I think it's quite quite a sort of like lovely little thing that they that they did with the film. And um yeah, and I love Debbie Reynolds in it. I mean, for me, it was just real. It was a real surprise seeing her. Oh, she's in a film yeah. after the eighth. Yeah, she's in the film like after all that time. And it was just a real surprise for me seeing that. And then she aged well. Yeah, she doesn't look like she's had a lot of work done, does she? Because some of these Hollywood actors, when they age, you think, oh, why have you gone and ruined your face? You had a yeah, lovely yeah. face. Yeah. Now you've got weird <laughs> eyes and a weird... You just look strange. But I think she always looked like she had aged, but right. she well, tried to stay glam, but she had I, a good... I think she she definitely tried to stay glam. She said it wasn't that whole thing. But the thing is, the whole... I, I feel like Debbie Reynolds was never really about the looks. Mm. Deb, no. Debbie Reynolds yeah. was not about what she looked like. It was about that sort of almost, I'll say, joy of life that came off of her. Like, that kind of like when she was on camera, that she, that you just made made you think, oh yeah, look at her. She's like, she's just she's cute. She's good. And, and I feel, but the thing is with Debbie Reynolds, if you showed me like if if she'd walked past me in the street when she was older. I would not have realized no. that she was the same person as singing in the rain. Yeah, I don't really think she looked similar that much when she grew older. So it wasn't until someone brings up a title card saying Debbie Reynolds is in this <laughs> film that I'm like, oh my god, yeah, her. where yeah. is she? <laughs> <laughs> and by contrast, I think in some ways, as much as I loved her, I don't think Carrie Fisher aged as well. Because I think you could see some people they wear their life experience yeah, on yeah, the yeah. face, don't they? Yeah. And I liked the way that she had a natural face because I that's the one thing as you get older yourself, you tend to think, you know about aging yeah. face the reality of aging and I think she aged in her own skin yeah she didn't yeah. try to fight that no. yeah, 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 what was she, happening yeah. to her that yeah. um, you know that this, she was aging it, and the, so yeah. but you could see that her life experiences were, was written the, the, the addictions and all that kind of stuff yeah. and the 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 yeah I guess mental health problems that she yeah. had uh, that the uh, and it's, I, and I think even it became a thing when they were filming The Force Awakens that or what she looked like became this massive thing. They were like, oh yeah, but you know, you're coming back as Princess Leia and all that kind of stuff. Could you lose yeah. like two pounds and all that? Yeah, she had to lose 35 pounds, didn't she? She was told she 35 pounds? Yeah, she, to, she was told she had to lose 35 pounds. Yeah, to, to be in the film and everything. Because everyone like said at the time, you know, that's outrageous, that's sexist. How would, would they tell a man to lose 35 pounds? It's like, yeah, they would. Actually, actually I think, yeah, they would. And she said that to him. They said, you know, actually, they employed an actress. My, they said they employed me as an actress minus 35 pounds 
Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was the that was the that condition was of doing, doing it. it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they wanted to have Princess Leia as a, that linear line, and they said, you know, Princess Leia would not get big. She no. would still be a fighter. She'd be leading the resistance. Yeah. She'd be out there. <coughs> she would be. Yeah, you know, you, she, you, she would have to be a certain look. So yeah. they, 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 they went with that. Uh, <laughs> all right, but and she's good. And now, final film we're going to talk about Carrie Fisher's exception to the rule, a film made after 1980 that was still awesome. And this, for my money, is the best romantic comedy ever made. And that is When Harry Met Sally. Wow. Yeah, When Harry Met Sally, and I think like Big it's claim. that's that's. that's High acclaim. Oh yeah. Well, think about it. Come on. It's. I don't think the bar is that high, to be honest. With you. No, no, no. Romantic <laughs> comedy. I, as I say, with with me, romantic comedies. I'm not. A, I'm. I, do you know what I mean? I'm not yeah. like that. I, I would suffer them. <laughs> I don't. Don't particularly find them. You well, know, my my bag. Well, the thing the thing is with with um uh romantic. Okay, I say like romantic comedies is a low bar. It's a low mm. bar to clear. But I think. When Harry Met Sally is an awesome film because it focuses as much on the men as it does on the women. So it's 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 really about when Harry met Sally and it's about them and it's about mm. for, so following this relationship and how they actually come together. And Carrie Fisher, she has a kind of role in it in which she, which I think she ended up having more and more like in in a career which in which she's like a supporting character who threatens to steal the entire film. <laughs> who just uh, I know she plays something similar in a film called Drop Dead Fred, which was uh, Rick Mile, who's like you know yeah, the English comeback. Actually seen, seen, actually seen Drop mm. Dead. You seen Drop Dead yeah, Fred? That's not a romantic comedy. Is <laughs> it, it's, it's not a romantic comedy. <laughs> that's that's kind of like it's almost like a prototype for the mask. Nah, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so it is. It really is a prototype for the mask. It's, yeah. it's a prototype for the mask. So it, she plays she plays like the a best friend of Phoebe Cates's character mm. and and she. In this one, she's like the best friend of Meg Ryan's character, and she's having like an affair with like a married man, and she's always talking about whether she's going to leave them and all that. And the scenes that have her in them are just sort of like they're just they're just hilarious because it's the timing and the way she delivers the whole thing and the way she plays this person who's like wanting to leave the man but doesn't know whether she should. That oh no, she he promises he's going to leave his wife. Really, he promises he's going to leave his wife, <laughs> and I think it's just it's just brilliant seeing that she she carried that she still had that and she could still come into movies and she could just drop things in there and just be some of the best things in it like I'm not sure if you see a TV show called Catastrophe yes I was going to say that actually that's one of the best things I've seen her in on television yeah by Nan yeah. I thought she was just yeah great in it and she does something very similar in Catastrophe in yeah. that she's not she the main she steals every scene she yeah <laughs> really yeah. does she yeah and she just plays like the mum of one of the characters yeah she's she's the uh, mum because it's about an American guy and an Irish woman living in London living in London yeah um, who who uh, get together one night they fall pregnant but then they decide they're going to actually make a go of this relationship from from that go and she plays the American guy's mum uh-huh. who and, and she, it's like just like things that she says and like and it just shows up but I, I remember the first time I was watching an episode and she shows up in the in the episode and I'm like oh my god it's Carrie Fisher yeah. and she's just like on a phone just talking to somebody and just sort of like having back and forth dialogue and I'm like oh my god it's her it's so good this is the best episode ever because it's got Carrie Fisher in it <laughs> yeah because I stumbled upon Catastrophe because it's not really my sort of television drama but I became I'd watched the whole series in, in like a day in the evening I spent you know <laughs> back to back watching all of the episodes and the fact that she's in it and it's just one of these strange films you think I shouldn't like this but it does it's quite compelling yeah I think yeah. I think there's a it's great casting because there's a whole bunch of people who they would not who would not even have looked at Catastrophe if it were but then you hear Cara Fisher's in it oh yeah, yeah I'll give that a go yeah and then you realise that it's, <laughs> it's, it's a great show and she's brilliant in it 
All right. Um, on that note, I think it's time to say thank you. Thank you to thank, them both. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you to them to the both. Parents. Thank you to Debbie Reynolds and thank you to Carrie Fisher. You have, you may be dead, you may be gone, but you have left us some awesome, awesome things to get more or more acquainted with on a Saturday night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on Saturday night, on evenings, movie evenings, to introduce loved ones to and all that. It's just so great. So from us here, they don't make them like they used to. Uh, from us here, they don't make them like they used to. Thank you very much because they don't make them like you guys anymore. <laughs>